Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode three of Gavin Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. Uh, as ever, I am Roscoe Harold Bacon and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague Gil Rokitansky. Gil Maximilian Rokitansky. I'm just adding the Maximilian. Um, and this, this week we are going to be talking about... Um, Hammer the, films. Yeah. All the, all the recent Hammer films since they revived the company in 2007. Yep. And we'll also be talking about... Dread! <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a fucking fanboy for that shit. In Dread. Uh, which was dreadful. It's full of dread. Yeah, but not <laughs> dreadful. I thought it was fucking. Yeah. Right, let's just start talking about dread straight away because that was awesome. Yeah. I so, loved that film. So, Gil, you're really the kind of 2000 AD uh, fanboy, as I've discussed on previous shows. Yeah, although um, I haven't really read 2000 AD in about a decade and a half. Yeah, same so as I did then. I kind of drifted away <laughs> from it a bit. Uh-huh. It was actually. Uh, but you are an adult, of, admittedly. Yeah, but I was I, <laughs> I was an adult then. I think it's it was there was a storyline called Necropolis uh-huh. that that just dragged on right, went okay. on for ages uh-huh. and ages, and it was mostly just about what was happening in Mega City One after there'd been a big massive battle with the Dark Judges. Okay. So. So was that just in Judge Shred or did that? That was that was just universe? well, it was just in that. But uh, is two thousand eight a, uni- a unified universe in the same way as like the Marvel universe or DC? Uh, there's there's not really a lot of crossover. Uh-huh. I mean, the the most famous Judge Dredd crossovers would be with Batman, right? <laughs> and things like that. Cause, so they did a Batman so they, crossover. Yeah. Really. Uh, Judgment on Gotham. Which I'm surprised you hadn't. I was not even aware of that. That's insane. Yeah, they they used to occasionally have uh, random cameos in Mega City One as well. Like there's uh, Judge Dredd versus Bruce Lee, <laughs> who is actually who is wearing the yellow tracksuit and uh-huh. everything, but it's not not that Bruce Lee. Uh-huh. But it's it's very good. good. Judgment on Gotham uh-huh. is basically just Judge Dredd and Batman kicking the shit out of each other. So was that a limited series or was it? Uh, or a mainstream continuity? I'm not sure uh-huh. where it stood in the DC side, right. but it was pretty much just standalone for Dread. Uh-huh. Although, uh, I think... It, well, the problem with Dread is everything that Dread does is canon, because he's just still alive, he's not dead. They haven't, sure. they haven't rebooted the character, uh-huh. so... You know, they, they have got so many years of stories about Dread that if he was a real person... Sure. All of this couldn't happen, otherwise uh, he would just have a nervous breakdown, uh, yeah, eventually. Absolutely. Which I suppose he kind of does. He he did have one that I remember where he, he took the, the long walk, uh-huh. which he's, in the Sylvester Stallone film, he's forced to go on the long walk. Right. And what is the long and walk? That's, what is the long walk? That's where uh, a retired judge... Uh-huh or a, a shamed judge will be sent out to the cursed earth to dispense justice okay. basically with their uh, their uniform, their, uh-huh. their gun and their wits right okay so Judge Dredd did take that at one point because he mm-hmm. had a he had a, a crisis, because he's, he's a clone uh-huh. they started bringing all that up and right 
and then he he took the long walk. Sure. And that's a bit of a massive spoiler for 2000 AD though, because it did run concurrently with a a series called The Dead Man. Uh -huh. It was about a horrifically scarred guy who was walking the cursed earth trying to trying to figure out what had happened to him and why he was so horrifically scarred. Cool. And then when he eventually found out why, it uh -huh. was it was when he came across his uniform and picked up his dread badge. Wow. So wow, that's really cool. That was awesome. That was uh -huh. around about that was not that long before Necropolis. Right. I think. But uh, and yeah. what was the Necropolis really? Was Necropolis was just the Dark Judges and mm -hmm. the the Dark Sisters. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the, the, those female ones. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's a massive, massive, massive universe, and it was nice to see Chopper graffiti in the uh -huh. Dread film. Yeah. That was that was nice. He was a he's a surfer, and uh -huh. from Super Surf, which ah oh, I can't remember his real name. Sure. Well, I mean, but, one of the one of the criticisms that uh, that people have spoken to that have, have seen it. Uh, Lisa, hello. Um, <laughs> Lisa felt uh, I was speaking to my, my friend, and she was suggesting that the lack of an origin story uh, let the film down somewhat. If he'd given it an origin story, that would have been the entire film. That's right. actually, uh, I thought it was it was good that they didn't bother doing an origin story because mm -hmm. for Dread fans that would be really boring. Uh -huh. But uh, I don't know if Lisa's ever read. 2018. Not sure about that. Not sure. But uh, the the talk about the sequel uh -huh. seems to be hinting that it will be based on a storyline called Democracy uh -huh. and the storyline Origins. So, so she mentioned that as so well. So that will, yeah, absolutely. That will appear there, and then they want to do three films ideally, and the third one will have the Dark Judges. Mm -hmm. But no mention of what storyline they would use for that. Sure. It'd be good if they just did a new one. I think. I mean, I think what I liked about it was almost that this is um, obviously it's, it's based on uh, it's based on kind of Clint Eastwood type characters. Um, and but a very fascist Clint Eastwood. <laughs> he has all the demeanour uh -huh. of Clint Eastwood, sure. but he has no love really uh -huh. for anyone. He has Joe Dredd has no friends. But it seemed like. Uh, the, it seemed like the character was coming in um, and it was just like a man known by his legend and that was it and he was going to Although he's not really recognised right. by anybody, I noticed sure. that in the film. Okay. There, there weren't any points where somebody would go, mm -hmm. oh fuck it's dread. Mm -hmm. But you had that in the Sylvester Stallone one where it was always just meant to be like basically, he might as well be a cyborg right. who could who just storms through defeating crime everywhere. Uh -huh. But no, it's it's just it's not really brought into the new film at all, which uh -huh. I quite like. Okay. So what do you think of the three D effects? I was quite impressed after seeing. I thought it really added a lot to the the story myself. I think it might be the best use of three D that I've seen. Uh -huh. Particularly since a lot of the things that were 3D, it wasn't, it wasn't fake. A lot of the really impressive things that they'd done in 3D was the slow motion. Uh -huh. Where I, I did read a criticism of the 2D version of the film mm -hmm. that 
that sort of stuff seemed to go on a bit long, but it's slow motion. Oh, sure. it's, it's somebody making one gesture or one movement in slow motion. Yeah, absolutely. And if if it didn't take that long, uh -huh. then it would just be it would just be pointless to bother doing that effect in the first place. I think the, the I mean the manslaughter that kicks off the film really is um, fantastic, yeah. and then giving them the sh the shot of slow mo just before he is yeah. thrown from the building. That was that was good. It was really was, really good from that side of things. It was a really nice touch. But um, I, I did notice in the cinema that maybe I was the only person that every time something horrific happened would burst out laughing. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty insane. It was there was there was quite a lot of um, quite a lot of Gavin Roscoe type characters in the cinema. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just uh, t shirts were different, but everything else was just basically different heads. It, it was just a, a cinema where I think there was only about 25 people in it yeah. at the most. Oh. But it did all seem to I think be... that's generous, Gal. It seemed like there was maybe about 10 people there. It was very yeah. quiet. It was all it was all groups of... Uh, groups of geeks and Avengers t-shirts. Groups, groups of guys. <laughs> I spotted there was one, one couple. There was one girl. And she looked like you. <laughs> and, she, and he looked like you. That's... <laughs> I didn't want to look at them anymore. That's our story, folks. And that's <laughs> we're sticking to that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I don't think we should probably spoil it. I think the. No, I, I'm intentionally trying not to spoil yeah. it, but but do look at the graffiti. That's what I would say. I mean, the the, tra the trailer really gives um, it kind of sets the whole thing up. It's uh, this character is it Mama. Um, yeah, yeah, or or Momo. Momo, the, 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 the change between the two. Yeah. Because um, her, her name, it's M A and M A, uh -huh. or first and last right. name to start with. So she's so, controlling crime within this. Uh, she's a kind of over, kind of crime overlord within this this block. Um, an ex prostitute. Yeah. That's not really a spoiler. No. She's sure. played by Lena Headey. Uh huh. From the Sarah Connor Chronicles, right? Which I really liked. Uh huh. I may be one of the few people that really liked the Sarah Connor Chronicles, but I thought that it was it was an interesting little spin on the Terminator universe. Yeah. So we've got we've got Josh uh, Red and we've got Anderson. Um, Anderson as our and no side division. I did notice that right. that when her psychic abilities are being mentioned, uh -huh. she's not. She's not a part of a specific division. Yeah, they didn't she, mention it, but... It she's might, just a rookie, but... Sure. But there isn't a Psy division based on what they were saying. Right. Which is odd, because it was always Judge Anderson's mm -hmm. Psy division. Mm -hmm. But maybe they, they didn't want to include that, because it seems a little bit too much. Like, people with superhuman powers or sure. whatever. So Anderson and Dredd are called to this. Uh, well, they pick up um, the call, uh, basically, to attend... Uh, manslaughter, is it three manslaughters? Uh, yep. It was a 911 call as well, I quite like that. <laughs> Even in the future, the phone yeah. number hasn't changed. Uh, and this is in Mega City 1, which is which encompasses million most of North America. Yeah. Um, so they, they go to this apartment block, um, which is a huge, huge block. That's a mega like block. A small, small city in itself. Well, the, the thing in the comics is the, mm. the entire city is basically that size and that structure. So it's like 200, 200 floors type idea, yep. isn't it? But they decided the, to to give you the idea of the scale mm -hmm. of the mega blocks that they they would 
space them out a lot more sure. and have regular city in between it uh -huh. so that they would uh -huh. have roads and stuff. Uh -huh. I mean, there's makes sense. There's, uh, I'd say that the the appearance of Mega City One, as you get it in the comics, that's that's more perfect in the Sylvester Stallone version. Right. But the this version of the film seems to ground the entire thing more uh -huh. in a realistic yep. idea of the future, that the future is a shitty, messy place uh -huh. where 94% of all crime goes unpunished. So the majority of the film happens in, is it Peach Hills? Peach uh, Trees. Peach Trees, yeah. So in this Peach Trees block that's been locked down by Mama. Um, and basically, the, the 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 whole premise of the film is a uh, a fight fighting their way to Mama. Um, <laughs> that hmm? that sounds like it could be the premise of an orphan. <laughs> <story>. <laughs> That's one man's one, one man's, man's fight for Mama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like a video game, as as my friend pointed out. It's uh, and at, at yeah. no point in the film did anybody say, Mama, I just killed a man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no, no, I have to play pay PRS. Yeah, so is it a, a recommend from you then, Gil? Would you recommend people go and see it? Well, I know that you will love this next statement. I'm taking my mother to see it on Tuesday. <laughs> oh my god, no way. <laughs> yeah, she, she goes on holiday. Well, uh -huh. her and Danny are going on holiday next week and she wanted to go up to Glasgow to can we not Get do this? Some stuff. Gil, come on, we're talking about your mum and... Right, okay, so you're going to see it with your mum, that's cool. Every week there's now going to have to be a what is Gil's Gil's mum! Gil's mum! <laughs> and then two weeks time... Nobody cares! Nobody cares! My mum cares. Your mum cares, but nobody in their land cares, alright? Hi, well, anyway, I'm, I'm taking her to see it because she... She does like that sort of right. thing. So okay, that's cool. That's cool. That'll be fun. So it's a recommend then. Is there anything else we want to talk about about the film or? Uh. Well, I I actually thought that this entire podcast would just be. Just going. Oh dread. My oh, my oh my god! Oh my god! Dread. So amazing. Uh -huh. But yeah, it is a fucking brilliant film. It's, it's really really good for really comic strong. book adaptations. It's right up there. It's very strong. Yeah. Also, Judge Dredd is still a fascist. Uh -huh. Everybody that has seen the Sylvester Stallone one uh -huh. and doesn't read 2000 AD will watch this and just think he's such an unlikable character. He has no redeeming features really about him apart from the fact he's this massively ruthless, nasty man. I suppose I didn't take take that away from it. I suppose possibly I don't I don't read these uh, these comics. Um but I, I Well his catchphrase is I am the law. Sure. And in the Sylvester Stallone one uh -huh. he he says that in the the kind of I am the law type way as he screams it during his trial. Mm -hmm. And you get the idea of him just being like a kind of massive ego. What did you think, of Anderson? Uh, I I'm not sure they sh they should have put Anderson in without having side division. I'm still unsure about that. But mm -hmm. uh, 
Cassandra Anderson is one of my favourite. Right. She was one of my favourite characters. But then that may have just been because of the age I was when I was reading Judge yeah. Dredd and she was always just portrayed as a blonde, busty, kick ass female. Yeah, I thought I thought she stood up really well, um, to Judge Dredd, um, in terms of the the characters played off each other well. She was not over sexualized, um, mm. as is the the case with a lot of these movies, even the movies that try to, like for example, the, the Avengers try to have uh, tried to get away from that a wee bit. Still, there's there's definite over sexualization there. Certainly, not the kind of thing that you would get if it was a male character. Whereas with Anderson, I feel that they, they really played it pretty straight, and the same with well, she's she was in leather the whole time. Right. And that that didn't. I didn't know that. Well, they're they're wearing. Oh, both of them are wearing the same. They're both wearing the same suit the whole way through, Mm -hmm. and her cutting about and being quite pretty and wearing leather isn't a whoa type thing. But just before Dread came on, there was the trailer for the new Resident Evil film, Uh where she's kind of cutting about in Mm -hmm. black PVC and that, and everybody just kind of went whoa. Mm. So it was right. it was nice to see a woman basically running about in a you know leather catsuit and it not being a, a sexual thing. Uh-huh. Right. No, I personally I, I thought they 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 managed to strike the balance very well and they didn't they didn't over sexualise her and I I felt it was just a, a character and the same with Mama, I really liked everything they'd done with that. She was very strong, um very overpowering well, and it was a kind of hard story to get to know the Dread character in, because mm-hmm. if you didn't have somebody with them there, uh-huh. then it would have just been two hours of him walking from corner to corner, not, re- not speaking to uh-huh. anybody. Sure. So you need to have one character. But I think she served a bigger purpose than that. No, she she did, but I was gonna say, like, if you're going to take a character uh-huh. that has to fill that role. In the Sylvester Stallone abomination that, that was Rob Schneider right. as a petty thief type character right, okay. and that was just horrific mm-hmm. but in this Anderson is somebody that people like me would know mm-hmm. so it doesn't seem awkward to have him basically doing some of the exposition Mm-hmm. Whereas if it had just been a random mm-hmm. judge who he does that to, then you just you wouldn't care. In fact, mm-hmm. they would probably have got to a point where they would have just been shot in the head uh-huh. within the first ten minutes, and yep. you wouldn't you wouldn't be bothered. Yeah, I felt there wasn't too much of that, and that's I, I actually quite liked that it. it was relatively low in fat. Uh, it was it was quite a lean film. Um, very, very good gore as well. What was that? Sorry, good gore. Yeah, yeah. It, it was good, good and to the point, and it did what it needed to do. Um, it wasn't heavy-handed either. Uh-huh, sure. It was, it was. Uh, I suppose there's the one bit that you see in the trailer where there's the big guns shooting mm-hmm. across the yeah. building. That's probably the most heavy-handed the film mm-hmm. gets in total, mm-hmm. and that's. What about three minutes? Yeah, it's, it's not for very long. It's futile. So yeah, that was that was really cool. 
Okay. He so can't say it's futile, that's a spoiler. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. what a spoiler. Judge Dredd does not get killed before the, the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, okay, and we'll be back after this. We're a show that is ostensibly about horror. Booby bouncing. Yeah. Is that what it was? And the running. That monkey was Benson. <laughs> he had sex with uh, Kim Cattrall. <laughs> uh, open your mouth so I can fill the void. Rats are gross. Far Eastern Yeti have smaller feet than... So like, what are we supposed to learn from that? You're like, Katie. shit, this is the one with the really fat guy. Yeah. Damn it. Okay. They gave each other a Dutch rudder. It was yeah. fine. Apparently you've never been to NakedAndy.com. Those are flaps, not doors. Like that yeah. Woody. Anyway. Who's Woody? It's a wiker with a booty. <laughs> it looks like Mike's jerking it over there. I'm gonna class it up now. After that smut. Shows are most popular by the way they smell. You're a real black hole right now. <laughs> he sure is. I'd bang him. The horror of unreleased Beach Boys songs. There you go. Are you referring to my labia right now? No. Night of the Living Podcast. N-O-T-L-P.com. Okay, guys, and we're back. Um, for... Uh, Theme this week we are discussing the modern Hammer Horror uh, movies. So the movies um, that are that have been released under the the newly uh, returned Hammer Group. Um, so the movies that we'll be talking about are Beyond the Rave, um, Let Me In, uh, The Resident, Wakewood, and Women in Black. Uh, so we'll start off with uh, Beyond the Rave since that was the the first uh, first release on on the the Hammer uh, films label um, done with MySpace films because yeah. it was it was originally just showed on MySpace. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, uh, so that was basically twenty episodes. Uh, twenty episodes, nineteen of which were screened on MySpace. Uh, the twentieth. Um, was only available on a limited run of 5,000 DVDs. Yep. Um, the DVD features some extras, including a deleted scene with Ingrid Pitt. Um, oh, so that's where she appears. Yeah, she's, she's in the the credits. Uh uh-huh, but she's not actually but in the movie. So, um, that's a bit cheeky. But, uh, absolutely. And there's a 21st episode uh, that's Necro's first kill. Uh, for... Uh, People that weren't disappointed enough by the series. <laughs> Aye. So well, it's it's not a disappointing series. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's that's unfair. As a as a MySpace series, I can see how it would have worked and maybe helped get the Hammer name back into people's minds. Yep. But as as an edited together film, mm-hmm. which still features all twenty of the the episode introductions, yeah. like the, the title cards for the introductions coming up with this uh, So between each episode, uh-huh. music. between each episode there's a basically an ident that flashes up that says Beyond the Rave Part 1, Beyond yeah. the Rave Part 2, every single, rather than editing the whole thing together. Which um, they should have done because it really, the film... Do you want to synopsize this girl before we go any further? Uh, I... Okay. I think the, the synopsis really is just uh, an army guy uh-huh. who's so going to Iraq the uh-huh. next day. So that's Ed. Goes out to get shit faced with some pals. Yep. And they end up at a rave where vampires want to kill everyone. Yep. And then the 
film basically ends. So his mates are uh, Necro and his girlfriend Jen and his mate Big Jim. Um, they converge on uh, a rave. Uh, they manage to find this radio frequency that's that's uh, run by a very unconvincing pirate radio DJ. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it's basically been taken over by vampires. This pirate radio station, um, and they are carving. Well, they're carving the uh, frequency backwards in the mirror into people's bellies yeah. for the week leading up to. Uh, which the, is just the rave. Which is just bizarre. pointless. Yeah, it's very pointless. <laughs> really. Um, and using it in lipstick, so Necro gets an invite, and a few others get get invited, and that way. Because what they want to do is uh, drain everyone's blood. Yep. Because they're going on holiday. To an island. <laughs> to an island. It makes it makes very little sense. Why don't they just uh, keep them alive? Keep all the people them. and. Breed them. Uh-huh. I was talking with this uh, my friend Johnny, uh, and uh, what is the film where they where they were actually breeding humans and keeping them in a kind of farm type? We were reckoning it was either Blade. John reckoned. Oh, uh, there's there's a certain amount of uh-huh. that in Blade, but that's not like a main. I was reckoning Being Human. Thing. Uh, the British series possibly had, had something it, but on that. Blade only really mentioned it. Right. Okay. I don't. Was maybe Blade Trinity? That's the one sure. I remember the least. Well, it makes it makes more sense to keep them alive rather than making a finite blood supply. Yep. Um, we've seen that. We surely can... would have spoiled. So, you know, in most vampire lore, it has to be taken. Yeah. From the, Sorry for spoiling the, the movie, but it's it's really spoiled itself. It, it was terrible. It, it was just a a waste, really. It's, it was a wasted opportunity in a lot of ways. Um, Especially only not putting the final episode mm-hmm. on online, that just seems ridiculous to uh-huh. me. I mean, episodes 1 to 19 are available on YouTube just now, um, but the, the final episode you need to buy on the 5,000 uh, DV- copies of the DVD, which is, which is ridiculously limited. And uh, probably not sold out. Uh-huh, I'd imagine you could still <laughs> get that. <laughs> if you watched the series, you probably didn't uh-huh. buy the DVD. I mean, I, I think, think I think some of the... Some of the moments are memorable. I mean, I particularly loved I loved the Chav Gangsters. See, you loved the Chav Gangsters, and I I thought that the Chav Gangsters totally took away from any attempt at grounding it in any form of reality. Yeah, and no, then it was so over the top and nuts, and it was I really really liked that. And I believe some of those guys have went on. Uh, the, the production company have went on to do Cockneys vs Zombies. Yeah. So I imagine there's some that. crossover with the, the cast there. What was his name? Tully. Uh-huh. Sure. I don't know, I just... I, them with their white cap of trackies <laughs> and... I just love that. And then there was this the scene with the samurai salt, where the girl is doing all the, the, the um, samurai movements, the vampires making all the samurai movements. And I think one of the gangsters just chibs her with something and it's like a bag of coins or something uh, like that. I, I was expecting it to be like an Indiana Jones <laughs> moment there but oh. that was, it was, I was quite happy to see them killed. Yes, the dialogue as well. The dialogue me, was uh, miserable. It was very, I mean you made the point that you thought, we, we spoke about this before and you had mentioned that you thought it was a, a bad vampire movie but also a bad portrayal of rave culture and I, yeah. I think 
Um, nobody smiled. Yeah. Nobody was grinning and they're all supposed to be <laughs> in a warehouse full of E dancing to music and the they had a whole stage in the warehouse. That wasn't how warehouse yeah. parties were. It was you'd be lucky if they had a trestle table half the time. <laughs> well I've I've took a couple of notes in terms of the the, the, the worst lines from the film that I've uh, picked up on. Where's the rave on? Was <laughs> every time they mention the word rave, rave on. It sounds like they're really. <laughs> you just keep expecting the character from Felix Knight, <laughs> but it just seemed like so awkward when they were saying the word rave. It was just like this is. I mean, this was made in two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. So uh, I mean, this. Uh, you wouldn't say where's the rave. You'd no. say where's the party. And none of the characters looked as if they were really up for a rave. No, didn't they? And the other, the other line that I particularly liked was. Leave it out, mate. You know I'm tripping. <laughs> <laughs> Which I felt was particularly awkward. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that should have uh, realistically just been, fuck off, I'm monged. <laughs> Beyond the Rave, yeah, okay. Um, Beyond the Rave, you can get a look at it on YouTube. Uh, don't buy it, it's terrible. Um, you keep saying YouTube, it's on MySpace. It was made by it's MySpace. It's not actually on MySpace anymore. Have they taken because it down? I was hoping that I would be able to see episode 20 on MySpace, but... So My, MySpace films are now not even showing. Yeah, they're showing, they're showing the trailer um, and showing some other stuff. I think that's, that was the first time I've logged into MySpace in about uh, five years. So that's <laughs> two years anyway. Yeah, somebody yeah. somebody described MySpace. I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Bob Rafferty. Described MySpace as like visiting a graveyard. Yeah, it was good while it lasted. Um, Okay, so next we're going to talk about a film that I didn't get a chance to see, but you managed to watch. Um, I've seen it before, it's, but um, there's no way I'm going to remember it. Oh, Let it. Me In. Let Me In, yeah. Which, uh, waste of time. Right. If you've, okay. if you've seen Let The Right One In, mm-hmm. this brings nothing new to the story. It, so you're going to synopsize it? Particularly not pace. There's, well... The synopsis for this film really would just be little girl vampire with her kind of guardian figure mm-hmm. move into a block of flats and there's a lonely little boy who's bullied <coughs> mm-hmm. and lives with his most likely alcoholic mother who's right. deeply unhappy uh-huh. and they strike up a bit of a friendship. Okay. And he's a little pervert. Right, okay. Because he he's got his telescope spying on the the couple. Right. Okay. That live across the way. He uh-huh. spies on people. So, yeah, it's a remake of the Swedish film from was that two thousand and six. Oh, it's really recent. Yeah. Um, there there should be a a law against remaking something uh-huh. that recently. And how did you feel it compared? Uh, Were there any changes to the storyline elements? Or I mean, I've certainly seen both films, but I can't for the life of me remember anything about it either. I think you could probably replace the audio for the Swedish one with the audio for this version. Right, okay. And so it's very, very... I find yep. quite a few scenes just appearing perfectly in sync. Yep. And the, they've described it as a homage, uh-huh. but uh, that's, that's More or less shot for shot, it's very... Very similar, isn't yeah, it? Yes, it, it looks basically shot for shot. I mean, it's it's just the a boy in the American one's very good, though, isn't 
he distracted me quite a bit because he looks too much like Corey Taylor Taylor. Right. <laughs> and I just kept expecting that any minute now he was going to pull out a guitar and start singing Bohemian Like You, <laughs> which I don't like that song anyway. I was okay. never a Dandy Warhols fan. Right. Although, uh, more of a Corey Feldman fan myself, Corey Haim. Corey's. That'll be that'll be a theme for one week. Will be uh, Corey, Corey Feldman versus Corey Haim. Oh man, got to do that. <laughs> Great. Okay. But um, uh, the I did when I was checking out the years and stuff. Uh-huh. I looked up IMDb, uh-huh. and one of the things in the the frequently asked questions was why are they remaking this? Uh-huh. Sure. And producer Simon Oakes said that the story was. Who's so the chairman of Hammer as well? Yeah. Uh huh. Sure. But he said that it should be seen by a bigger audience, mm-hmm. and he also he then mentioned people in Manhattan have seen it, mm-hmm. and in New York, in Chicago, in Chelsea, in Notting Hill, in London, but no one in Glasgow or Edinburgh or Bristol or Idaho or Pittsburgh have seen this film. It's a story that needs to be seen by a wider audience. Uh, so he's seen your weight. I kind of say. <laughs> Fuck you, my HMV's got a world cinema <laughs> section. Yeah, it. absolutely. I had already seen the film that uh-huh. no one in Glasgow has seen, according to him. Uh-huh. And I just thought that was a, either an incredibly stupid thing to make. Oh, uh-huh. I think the way I think the way he said it was probably condescending. Uh-huh. Not really what he what he really meant. I th- I think I kind of understand what he was. I mean, in the same breath as he's mentioning those places. He also mentions horror fans would have seen it, so that's part of the quote as well. Um, was that yeah, the so horror nerds would have seen it as well. So as as much as I do understand where you're coming from, I think he's maybe just. Um, I think you're you're going about uh, scripto about it when. Yeah. Yeah, calm down. I know, but the the problem Real is this, Gil. this week I've also been reading a couple of things about the old boy remake. Right. And I don't know anyone the wants old boy to be remade uh-huh. and I know plenty of people that have seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, just in terms of numbers, uh, Let Me In, um, sorry, Let The Right One In uh, was made for $5 million um, and Let Me In was made for $20 million. So four I times don't know the what budget. they did with that $15 million because sure. uh, the, the Swedish version has Basically, just the exact same effects yeah, and lighting very, very and everything. Um, and in terms of what it made at the box office, uh, the original made eleven million dollars. So uh, it it made uh, about double its money. Double. Uh, and um, let me in made twenty four million. So it so it didn't. No, it didn't set the world on double. Certainly not. It's You'd imagine what that going to the the marketing of the the film. I think marketing budgets are separate. Sure, right. So, the okay. marketing would still have to be taken off as well. Sure. So it probably lost them money. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, it brought the film to a wider audience. Yeah. Or. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just. Brought the film to a wider audience by making yeah. a different film. By making a different film. <laughs> Which makes no sense. Because uh, I've also got film four. 
Oh, uh-huh. shows a lot. Yeah, I mean that's, that's where movies. I saw that was There's... where I saw it originally, but the right one was in film four. Um, so, okay. so the idea that a film with subtitles needs to be remade mm-hmm. to bring it to a wider audience uh-huh. is uh, is condescending. I do agree. Condescending, with you. and also I think false. Uh huh. I think particularly these days because the last time I did the have have you seen these films from the top 100 uh-huh. on IMDb. Old Boy was in the top 100. Sure. I think it was in the top 50 as uh-huh. well. So there's there's obviously enough people that have been watching it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay. The Resident. The Resident. We're going to discuss the, the Resident. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Hilary Swank, and Christopher Lee. Yep. Who's barely in it. And I'm, I'm not sure really if it's just to have him in a Hammer film. Okay. But it's about a doctor who moves into a Brooklyn loft and her landlord is a bit overly friendly and creepy and she gets a bit suspicious. So, I mean, she's just coming out of a long-term relationship with the uh, character Jack, I think it is, in the movie. Um, that was the one bit I really liked about that film, was the you know, split-second interaction between Jeffrey Dean Morgan uh-huh. and the ex-boyfriend character. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Juliet, uh, Hilary Swank plays Juliet, and she's a young young doctor. I um, didn't remember any of the names throughout yeah. the film. I, I found... That I just I wasn't really connecting with the characters at all. I have to say the exact opposite, girl, because I I rewatched this and my memory of it was kind of culled by what you had said, what <laughs> Jennifer had said, uh, my partner, um, and I rewatched this and I loved it. Um, I really really enjoyed this. I, I felt it was it built suspense brilliantly all the way through. Um, Did you not find that a bit eighties? Absolutely, I, I th- absolutely. It's I mean, it's a psychological thriller. It's certainly knowing the and what you would expect Hammer to be making. Yeah, that. Well, I think that's it's, the it's not horror thing. film. It's, it's, it's a not a horror film. None of it really frightened me. I, I, and I didn't feel that fussed when it got to the the end. Uh huh. And when it when it got to the near the end of the. The film when I was watching it, mm-hmm. I got a, a message on Twitter that took uh-huh. me about three seconds to read uh-huh. and then to look back to the screen and the film was finished. Yeah. I had to rewind it and then the bit that I had missed, I was like, uh-huh. oh, is that it? No, uh, I mean, um, for me, I, I felt it built, built the whole, the, the, the characters up really, really well. Um, the character of Max, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, aka the comedian, um, I, I felt he he played the the role really well from from the get go. I thought he was good as a creepy guy, but I just I didn't. Yeah, I believed him as the romantic lead type character as well, um, uh, the kind of George Clooney type character as he was originally set up. Um, He's and I I thought his obsession was, just seems a bit from nowhere. Though really, is a well, his obsession goes further back uh-huh. than the start of the film. Uh-huh. But just the the fact that 
the woman that he's obsessed with uh -huh. just didn't seem to be that nice a person. Right. Like, well, she didn't seem like a nasty person, but she mm -hmm. just didn't. She didn't seem like she had that sort of mm -hmm. allure or even much of an outgoing personality, sure. really. So I, I didn't really see what aspect uh -huh. of her it was that he was supposedly in love with. If it was yep. just because it's it's not just a sexual thing for him. He he wants them to be in a relationship. He wants mm -hmm. to build a relationship. With I don't them. think that. I think that a lot of it was to do with power and a lot to do with control. Because when he well, that comes into it later, but the uh -huh. thing that pissed him off was that they had basically gone on what he saw as being a date. Sure. And then she went to kiss him, uh -huh. and that made him really happy. So yep. he did want a relationship with her. He then goes on to drug I her think, wine. I everything. think the reality would have been that he would have been interested in her for a while. Um, but the reality would have been that he would have become a very controlling character. I felt that it kind of mirrored a domestic violence type situation, domestic abuse, in, well, terms, of the, in terms of the controlling behaviour that he exhibited throughout. Um, and I felt that even if he would have legitimately wanted a relationship with her, it would have been a very controlling relationship. And I think that's what I liked so much about it, was the fact that August... Uh, Who's, who Christopher Lee portrayed from the get-go yeah, from, the, from the, the, the get-go he is portrayed as understanding Max very well and you can see yeah, in yeah. Christopher Lee's reactions to, to Max and uh, when he is uh, letting out the flat to Juliet we start to think okay August knows what's going on here he knows that this isn't an isolated incident and certainly the fact that oh okay we're gonna spoil well, it the 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 fact that there is a there's network, not enough Christopher Lee yeah there's there's the, not enough Christopher he's got little he's got little tunnels by the wall uh -huh. but that's not unusual in a building of that age because the mm -hmm. the it's walls were right like but that. I mean but the, the fact that he he's got an infrastructure there that's yeah. that's that's certainly there to but he creeps about uh -huh. him. It's um, I mean the, the two B mirrors are set up. There's, there's, so this isn't the first time this has happened, and I think that's what's what's. I don't think that's the first See, maybe time I missed happened. that, but at the start, like, I but just there's that interaction just between August and him. I don't know if it's that he knows that there's something that's been going on before, but he says something along the lines of, "You're a weak man. Your father was a weak man." I thought he was his father. Well, no, that's, that's his grandfather. His father had uh, Max's grandfather had murdered uh, his mother that's and then killed himself. So, uh, and Christopher Lee's kind of bedridden and reliant on Max. Yep, but he's keeping him that way. That's the important stuff. thing: is that that he has a controlling relationship. Uh, but he he doesn't have an intentionally controlling relationship with him though. I'd, yeah, I'd, that's set up within the film: is that I'd, he's no, injecting. I'd, well, I didn't think that Christopher Lee had an intentionally controlling. Oh no, Max I, I was having a controlling relationship with August. Yeah, but I I think that the way I saw that his relationship towards August was a reaction to the fact that August's continued existence mm -hmm. as a person that he needed to look after every day 
was something that Mike saw as being controlling and was right. rebelling against possibly. at a certain, a certain point. Yeah, possibly. Because, I mean, he does make that line, it's my life now. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was clear whether whether he... I don't think he killed August, but I think he was keeping her doped. Well, was, he, no, he does. He, he puts a pillow over his face. Right, okay. I don't remember that. That's he suffocated him with a pillow. Right, okay. But uh, so yeah, but I don't think there was enough of uh-huh. that relationship. Then, if it's if the relationship that he has with Hilary Swank's character is supposed to have any follow through from the relationship that he has with his grandfather, there's not enough of the grandfather relationship yeah. in the film. Okay. I just found yeah, maybe I've, I've misread that. But I, I mean, found it a little bit. A little I think bit it was just typical of who he is. I think it it would have been a popular film in the in the eighties, uh-huh. and I think in in the eighties it would still if somebody else had made it, mm-hmm. it would it would have had more moments of actual horror. Uh-huh. You don't really see anything in the film that you go that's a bit horrifying. Uh-huh. And it's like the it's a bit kind of TV movie with like when he's uh, when he's doped her drink mm-hmm. and he's planning to go in and sexually abuse her, the camera mm-hmm. kind of pans mm-hmm. away and you don't you don't have any there's nothing that makes you go this man is truly horrific because you don't know uh-huh. what he's done I mean the well we find out we find out later on what he's done I mean we, we know that he has has sexually assaulted her and I mean that's made clear by her reactions to that but that that doesn't become apparent until the end and I uh-huh. think that the film would be more gripping if you actually did have more of an idea. I mean at one point mm-hmm. he does this thing that guys only do in films really. Like when he's the first day that she's out at work he goes around and he's looking around everything she's got and he lies in her bath mm-hmm. and then he's getting a bit of a sexual right, kick okay, out of it. Sure. So he undoes the top button of his jeans and then shoves his hand down the front of right. his trousers. People don't do that. You put right. your dick out. <laughs> right. um, yeah, well, I, th- I think it was... I, I really enjoyed it and I, th- I felt that it really worked well. Everything, every creepy moment I, I really appreciated. Like, for example, the one of the creepiest moments in the movie I felt was when he was brushing his teeth with her toothbrush, um, which was really, it was just makes you, it makes your skin crawl, um, and there's another moment just simple where he is underneath her bed, uh, just lying while she's, while she's on the bed, and it's so creepy. Um, See that bit was creepy, Yeah, but I, I didn't really get that feeling from a lot of the stuff uh-huh. that he did. Yeah, I just felt it was a great tense psychological thriller, and the, the use of sound throughout was brilliant. And the, they constantly used these kind of rhythmic banging noises, rhythmic sounds of water, and different different things like that. That's one thing that I've noticed in the new Hammer films is their use of sound. Right. Quite a bit. It's a. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something that we will probably discuss we'll in more detail. Get on to more more with the later films because. Sure. I didn't think that the resident was a a massive 
it wasn't a massive problem in the resident with sure. the sound. Uh -huh. But it it did kind of point the way that the sound editing of Hammer Films is going. Right. Actually, uh, Let Me In was the worst because mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw it. If you look on our Facebook page, you will mm -hmm. see a picture that I put up where it compares the the audio file mm -hmm. for Let Me In to yeah. the audio file for the reanimation sure. in 1985. Uh -huh. And both of these films are pretty much about lone characters. There's, there's not, there's not a lot of heavy dialogue and the, mm -hmm. the scary moments tend to all happen at set points mm -hmm. and the the massive difference in the volume for the mm -hmm. music for a scary point and let me in I just found really really irritating sure I had to use an automatic volume leveler mm -hmm. on it just to just to watch the film well I mean, for me, um, I, I tend to disagree with that. I, I think that's a staple of the horror genre. Um, and I, I think that uh, really comparing Reanimator to Let Me In really isn't comparing Like with Like at all. It's two completely different movies. Well, you can say it's about a lone character, but it's so different, Gil. That's, it's there's not a lot of talking throughout. Reanimator, a lot of it's solitude. Nah, I, I'll be honest with you, man. Well, I'll compare I, it with a different film, but it is just the, it's, it's just the difference in volume between talking, uh -huh. and but that the, that the quiet words. loud dynamic is a, an absolute staple in horror. No, but the the difference between the the levels these days is is just becoming ridiculous. I agree, it's getting to the point where you it's have bloody to. ridiculous. You have to turn the TV up oh, so loud to hear what people are saying that when the music comes on, it's just annoying. Maybe it's, it works. It's an artistic it. vision. It's and who are we to stand in the way of that? The <laughs> the paying public. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we will need to go to a break. Yep. Uh, and then we will be back to talk about Wakewood. Wake, Wakewood and the Women in Black. So we'll be positive. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? This is just a bad movie. This is not at all good in any any way, shape, or form. Because there's one word I have to describe this movie, and it is derivative. Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I was in search of the stop button. Yeah, I know. <laughs> in search of a plot. That's what this movie should be called. You're right. Uh. So, zero out of five. Fuck this movie. Don't watch it. Ugh. Then you should spend time with David and me as we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. The Dunwich Horror. Maniac. To new favorites. Love and Horizon. House of the Devil. Slaughter Night. Come listen to Devour the Podcast. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Devour the Podcast is a proud member of the Horrorphilia Podcasting Network. Oh, you can do the synopsis for this uh, film while I just quickly grab my my second cider to review. Okay, I will be That's reviewing great. the two okay. of them at the end of the show. Okay, welcome to Cidercast. Uh, my name as always is Roscoe, uh, and today we're going to be reviewing, uh, what is it, Magnus Peach Cider? Uh, no, this is Gamer's uh -huh. Pear Cider. Uh -huh. That last one was... Uh, 
blueberry, I right. think. This one is with cherry and apple. Right, oh, very nice. So, if they want, they can send me some. So, we are actually quite sophisticated in some way. Yeah. Sounds special in Asda. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> top tap, top twap. Um, okay, uh, well, next film we're going to be talking about is Wakewood. Which I really, really, really liked. So, synopsis uh, that we've got off IMDb is uh, Still grieving the death of nine year old Alice, their only child, the jaws of a crazed dog, Vet Patrick and pharmacist Louise relocate to the remote town of Wakewood, or Wakewood, where they learn of a ritual that will allow them three more days with their daughter. The couple find the idea disturbing and exciting in equal measure, but once they agree terms with Arthur, the village's leader, a far bigger question looms. What will they do when disturbing occurrences start to happen? Arthur's actually his dad as well, or is it, is it her dad? He's the dad or something. No. I thought he was somebody's dad. No, he's not. <laughs> he's named his I thought dad. one of them oh. came in and went, what are you doing here, dad? No. Or maybe it was Arthur. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> Arthur's one of my favourite films. Just throw that in there. Okay. <laughs> but Arthur's, Arthur Daly, Arthur uh, Daly, Mindercast, mind welcome to Mindercast. Um, Arthur's played by Timothy Spall, yes. which uh, I think that as soon as he appeared, I was like, oh, this film isn't going to be. It's very slow at the start. Uh -huh. So we start off uh, with a flashback. Basically, the, the, with the, the dog attack. Oh, uh -huh, the, the story starts with the family, the the, the couple, uh, traveling in their car, and as the credits are rolling, we're getting occasional flashbacks to their life with their daughter, having fun on her birthday, and then this uh, attack uh, by a dog that Patrick, the, the, our father, has been yeah. uh, caring for. I thought the dog attack was really good. Right. I mean, like, well done, I don't mean uh -huh. that. I was going, yeah, it's a dog attack. Yeah! <laughs> That's what we yeah, need. We There's not enough films where nine-year-olds get uh -huh. killed by dogs. So, uh, yeah, so the wee girl was was uh, feeding feeding the dog a bit of ham or something like that, and the dog attacked her. Um, so we get to the village of Wakewood, and we don't get to see a whole lot of life uh, as they pass through the village. Um, they have moved to the village to get away from where they were, and for Patrick to set up as a vet, and um, for his wife uh, to sell lots of pregnancy tests, yes, to become a, a pharmacist, uh, to, and that's Louise, and she. Um, so, where do we go from there? Uh, uh, the story. Well, I'd, well, the the story is. Uh, It's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's kind of it's like the the wicker tree, uh -huh. but it's better. Right, wicker. let's not talk about the wicker tree because it's rubbish. Um, well, it's not totally rubbish. The wicker tree shows some right. promise, and then nobody cares about the other. wicker tree. We're not talking about the wicker tree. But you see, I have to say it's like the wicker tree because right. I can't say it's like the wicker man. Otherwise, people have too high expectations uh -huh. for Wakewood. I thought it was but quite it's... like the wicker man in a lot of respects. Um, well, it's it's a you know, small town place. I couldn't really place where Wakewood was supposed to be, though. Uh huh. Exactly. It's supposed to be in Ireland, right? Yeah, but it's. I mean, the the film was made 
the film was made between the UK, Ireland and Sweden. Um, what bits were filmed in Sweden? Oh, I'm not sure about that, but... Was, it, was, the, was it the trees? Because you know how I like to review the trees. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Films. I really, um, I quite liked the uh -huh. trees in this film. So it was filmed in Donegal and Osterland in Sweden. Um, and it was because the director had seen, I think it's, it's uh, is it Frostbitten? Or something. Right, I've, not, I've not watched Frostbitten so, yet. So they watched it kicking about somewhere. He'd seen that and he wanted to get that kind of vibe from that. So um, maybe it is the trees. And I would say Wakewood, uh, in a lot of respects, is far more hammer-like in its tone uh, than than the other movies have been. Yeah, it's you agree it is, there's something mysterious that's going on mm -hmm. in this place, and you never quite, you never really actually even get to find out exactly what's sure. going on. There's that old kind of seventies obsession with pagan rituals as well. Sure. So Louise, uh, Louise is working in the pharmacy and a character called Mary comes in with her niece, uh, Deirdre. Uh, uh, well, the, supposedly her niece. Uh, I couldn't tell if they were meant to be scary or if they were meant to be kind of just hicks. Right. Uh, then you find out later on that they're a bit of both. Uh -huh. The entire town is uh -huh. kind of scary. So um, we're going to spoil it. Should we spoil it? Well... Yeah, I mean, the, the whole premise is... The whole premise is little, little dead girl gets brought back brought to life. Yeah. I'd say the, the only... The, so we the find that, that, that I would go uh -huh. to spoiling it is the fact that after she's come back, they know it's only three days, mm -hmm. but one of the characters thinks that there's something a bit unusual about uh -huh. this little girl. So that's so. Uh, that's the character of Mrs O'Shea. Yep. Um, Otherwise, it would just be she comes back for three days uh -huh. and then. So basically, then goes wait, away wait, again. With the, the villagers of Wakewood have a ritual, a uh, pagan ritual that involves uh, a type of abacus, a kind of magical abacus, yep. where they can work out. They can basically bring a person back to life using. They have the, to do calculations based uh -huh. on their age and. How Various long ago they die, uh -huh. and everything, and that tells them exactly what they need yep. to do to bring this person back. Yep. So Mrs O'Shea is, is capable of doing that, as is the, the kind of Lord Summerisle type character. Uh, he's a more uh, yeah. benevolent character than Lord Summerisle. Uh, Arthur. Uh, yeah, because Lord Summerisle wants to make a human sacrifice, Aye, whereas... Uh -huh. That's not for the, the good of, of the community. But that's not the sort of thing that Arthur would ever no. consider. He just wants to do things to be helpful. Sure, sure. So as that as that, that kind of British, uh, Irish. But he's still uh, creepy. Oh, I, but that's just because he's played by Timothy Spall. I, I think Timothy Spall was was excellent in it. Yeah. I think he played the part really well. There there is definite menace there, uh, but that's because they have betrayed the trust of the community. The little girl was really good as well. She was, I thought she was, she was very, very good, Alice. That's the problem yeah. with the kids in horror films sometimes is that you just don't feel any menace Connection. from the, uh, the kids. Well, absolutely, absolutely. It's like the little boy that played Damien. Uh -huh. she's, a, she's got that sort of thousand yard stare sometimes in the, in the way that she will ask certain questions. Uh -huh. Why are you asking me that? She's always doing yeah. Mrs. O'Shea, and it's just so. It's so. Because I think Mrs. Nice O'Shea asks, "Are you are you a normal little girl? Why are you asking me that?" Yep. Yeah. So it's. Uh, 
And particularly since we've formed that bond with her, and we've seen her as this cute wee girl, and she's really, really, really nice, and a really kind of, she's got a really close relationship with her parents, and then, yeah, we kind of see that things have gone wrong, because she's been in the ground for, basically, well, there's a, there's that, we shouldn't say anything yeah, okay, about okay. that, but, yeah. but she's not allowed to leave Wakewood, uh -huh. that's the thing, they only have three days, and she's not allowed to leave. Uh huh. That's uh, it's a hard film to talk about without spoiling. Yeah, because absolutely. It's one of these. It is like the. You need to bear you... with us, folks. We've not really established what we we can and can't spoil about anything the, yet. How how could you review? Rules? You you couldn't really review a film like that without spoiling yeah. it to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, basically, I would I would really recommend people. Go and see. Well, people get a, a copy of this. It's available on Netflix just now. Um, Do we get money from Netflix? We don't. Well, then fuck them. Just <laughs> it's available on it's available. video on demand. <laughs> yeah, services. Yeah, services. absolutely. So I would recommend that you you definitely see it. Um, However, if Netflix do decide that hey, we're getting advertising from them, guild you on a free. Subscription, Roscoe, do you want a free subscription? We will say yes. Yeah, that's six pounds a month coming out of my account is killing me. Um, <laughs> and I can't, other advertisement, sorry. And I can't pay for things online. Yeah, so I, I can't get it. I would say that the, I mean, the ritual is really cool itself. I've taken a note of the the line that Timothy Spall speaks, and it's on the wild wind we fly between this world and the next. From that twilight perch, you see all your. Uh, the trials of the living and the dead, uh, the living and the wake of the dead. Um, See, like you put that into a song. Yeah, yeah. Know. <laughs> <laughs> like the power of transformation calls through your true selves. Um, that should be in Transformers. <laughs> Optimus Prime should read that. It's about like Mumra, isn't it? It's about <laughs> like the evil spirits or what is it? I don't know. Mumra. Oh, uh, Course through this decaying form to make the undying Mumra, Mumra yeah, absolutely. So, definitely, I recommend for uh, Wakewood. Yep. It's a great piece of folk horror, and for the the new anime version of Thundercats. Yeah, and absolutely, uh, we we heartily recommend Thundercats. It's brilliant. <laughs> Where do you meet the character of the Drifter? He actually he creeped me out more than any of the characters from horror films that we've watched for this podcast. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, next movie we're going to talk about is uh, The Woman in Black. Which I think most people will probably know of now since yeah. it's, a, it's a big hit in the West End. And I didn't realise this has only actually been out since February. Yep. So it's, it's, it was uh, February, I went to see it in the cinema. Um, we, I didn't. We saw it probably 2009 in the, in the theatre. Um, I should probably... Uh, the the, the, the theatre version is different. Because for the film they have adapted the ending. The theatre version is different in a few ways. I mean, it's so is the book. The the theatre version. It covers the entire story of the book, mm -hmm. but then has the the way the theatre one is set up. There's basically two characters. Um, you you've got an elderly character, or an older character, um, who is Arthur Capps. And a acting instructor, um, who basically played uh, all of the roles. Um, he's he's the, the written, acting instructor plays. He's written a play 
based on the book. Or it's essentially. Something like that. It's, it's basically he's acting out he's acting out the story to somebody else. He's planning to act out the story to somebody else. To his, to his, he wants to uh -huh. act the the story out to his family. So the the, the, in the hope that they'll uh -huh. understand it. Yeah, that's and that it. it will exorcise this demon that yeah. he's had for years. But that's not in the So the, the acting, that's not in the uh -huh. film that's just in the stage play. The acting instructor plays Arthur Kipps and then Arthur Kipps himself performs the roles of every other character. Um, and then we've got which I would love to see it's, it's I, I really really good um, and the, th the third character is obviously Woman in Black the third actress the yeah. uh, third actor um, and she is used in pretty much the exact same way as, as the film yeah um, so in the film uh, version um, now, with the Daniel Radcliffe yeah a young lawyer, a young lawyer travels to a remote village where he discovers the vengeful ghost of a scorned woman is terrorizing the locals. Yeah, it has a slightly different story from the book and the stage play uh -huh. to her kind of genesis as the ghost. Right, I don't because, remember that. To be honest. Well, in the in the uh -huh. film, it's just that she's had a kid taken <clears throat> away, and the or that her her kid has died okay. but her kid was taken off her because yeah. she had a kid out of wedlock yep and so so Arthur Kipps basically comes to the town Eel of, Marsh uh-huh that was the the house Eel Marsh house uh-huh and the town of, is it Gifford yep comes to the town of, uh, or is it Eel Gifford I'm not sure um but it comes to that town to execute uh Alice uh Drablo's uh will and to find her documents go through her documents uh, to facilitate the sale of Eel Marsh House. So we get the backstory of uh, Daniel Radcliffe's character Arthur Kipps. Because um, his, his wife in the film yep, has died. Has passed away. A, John Childbirth. He's got a little boy now. Yep. Jacob. Yep. So we see him travelling on the Hogwarts Express to, <laughs> to, uh, to uh, the town of Gifford. And Where he meets Sam. Yep. Who's is it Sam Daly? Oh. Oh. Okay. We will back after this. Continue this one in a wee second. So uh, we were introduced to the character of Sam Daly, uh, who is on the train with, uh, with other dogs. Yep. <laughs> I love that wee dog in the film. The little dog just sits right under his arm, all nestled yeah. in. See, I watch the horror films for the. The puppy actress in the background. That's it. Yep. And he basically says that you're not going to get a local buyer uh, because yeah. of the the mystery that's that's happening. Um, so He's basically the only yeah. affable person in the entire town. Uh -huh. Everybody else in the town is very hostile. wary and mm -hmm. hostile towards him because of the the fact that he's there to deal with this house. Mm -hmm. And then you get to learn that kids well you, you see the three little girls that uh -huh. just walk up to a window mm -hmm. while they're playing and decide to jump out of the yep. window and that's that's pretty much what the town's had to deal with uh -huh. mysterious child death mm -hmm. so that's what are you checking now just, <laughs> just checking that just we're actually recording again yeah we're recording um, so, 
Yeah, so that's basically the setup. Um, yeah, you can't really say too no, much about this one without spoiling it either. Yeah, but, uh, and I mean Eel Marsh House itself, which is where a lot of the film takes place, as well as the town mm -hmm. of Gifford. Um, the majority of the film is between the two places. Eel Marsh House is in the middle of a marsh. Uh, yeah, that you can only get to at certain times uh -huh. of the day. It gets covered over the 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 road to there gets covered over when the tides in. Yep. Um, and that obviously leads to this this kind of claustrophobia uh, that goes yeah. on. Yeah, you um, can't go anywhere. And he's he's ideally just there to look through mm -hmm. some paperwork and stuff. But as the thing progresses, we get more and more some scary things happen. Yeah, and spookiness and I actually, I thought that Daniel Radcliffe was he was really good in this. I thought he was exceptional. He was very, very good. I wouldn't say he's exceptional. I thought he was very, very good. I, I, I've read a few people saying things along the lines of that he was um, that he was too young for the role. But then it's set in the Edwardian. Yeah, period. absolutely. So absolutely. there would be absolutely, and you get the. I mean, what age is he now? He'll be probably about 21, 22 oh, so or something. I mean, it's not. So he with. would have, and he's only a clerk. Sure. In it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think that's that changed from the play. I think I, I think Caps in the play is portrayed as a a relatively young man. Well, that's why he's been sent there. He's uh -huh. just been sent as a a dog's body uh -huh. for the lawyer. Yep. But the the whole uh, thing about him being too young doesn't that didn't really no it didn't ring true for me me because. <laughs> People were having kids yep. younger then, mm -hmm. so. So I mean, another another big theme in the Women in Black is this uh, this uh, this kind of argument between science and superstition. Uh, so we've got the main protagonist, um, who is kind of halfway between. He's a man with a rational mind, but um, he has been let down by science. Yeah, and he's a guy who has been. Um, who has been thinking about going to a seance as well yeah. after his wife has, has passed away. And then we're introduced to Samuel Daly, who is, again, he is a firm believer in, in science and rationality, whereas his wife... Um, his, his wife, they, their uh, son drowned. Nathaniel. And uh, she's never got over it. She's She's got these two little dogs. The twins. That she calls the twins and and dresses uh -huh. them up in little outfits. Little sailor outfits. And she's basically like, just projecting onto these tops because uh -huh. they even have high chairs at the yep. dinner table. Yeah. But then she she's more of the the occult mm -hmm. way than than Sam is and and she's I I'm not I was never entirely sure about her character, it just seemed like some of the things the that she's in the film uh -huh. for that is just so that there's somebody there to say these things to Daniel Radcliffe's mm -hmm. character in a certain way, you know, because the the idea that she would be able to say these things is yeah. never But she's channeling her dead son as well. Well she says uh -huh. I I'm channeling my dead son but they never she's the only person in the entire Thing that's really doing that. It mm -hmm. should just be a basic ghost story, uh -huh. I think. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think that some of the things that she said could have easily just been replaced okay. by her being uh, a grieving mother uh -huh. who just says, "Don't bring your son here." Sure. I think that would have uh -huh. been that would have been more effective yeah. because it would have shown her for being quite irrational. Sure. As opposed to her being the only other person that's having any sort of supernatural thing. Uh huh. Sure. Or the only one that we see in. Yeah, well, there was all the kids that we see uh -huh. throughout the film. Yeah, was, absolutely. But the only adult that we see having yeah. having any sort of mm -hmm. interaction with ghosts yeah. should be Daniel Radcliffe, but but she's supposedly channeling one. Uh -huh. So I found this. I thought this was really firm hammer. It is. It's, hammer style territory. It's a, a good old-fashioned hammer film. Yeah, it's more um, it's more creepy than it is jumpy. Um, although I was absolutely terrified, <laughs> well, <laughs> I was. Um, well, I, was... I watched it before I saw Wakewood uh -huh. and the the rest of them. Uh -huh. I think it's the best out of the lot. I'm now a bit disappointed that that was the first one I watched uh -huh. because it, in a way, gave me higher expectations for the rest of them being yeah. more like traditional Hammer films uh -huh. because. When you watch the Woman in Black, mm -hmm. if you are a Hammer fan, then it is a Hammer film. Yeah. And the, for the rest of them, that doesn't really ring true. Well, I don't remember if we actually spoke about this on the podcast. I'm, I'm not sure, but my initial complaint had been the overuse of CGI, which isn't there, actually true at all. Isn't. It was I, watching it back uh, yesterday. It's actually it's not it's manual effects. Yeah, it's um, not a CGI ghost or anything. Uh -huh. It's just a woman dressed in black. I think um, having seen the stage version, it was was more subtle. But um, the, the 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 main the main issue that I had was with the the final sequence, and even watching that back last night, and the screen, it certainly wasn't as bad as as what uh, I remembered it being. Did the was the scream one of the things you had an issue with? No, not at all. Not at all. Like did that. I, I quite liked the, yeah, I like the high-pitched banshee yep. harpy scream. No, it was more the coming towards the camera. I liked the idea of Women in Black just being fairly uh, background. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was... It that was, one bit where she does rush. But, uh, the, but the thing in that is that the camera is meant to be showing you Daniel Radcliffe's perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So then when it cuts back to it, she's actually just rushing right uh -huh. past him sure. to get to uh -huh. the other thing that's yeah. there. But yeah, I think my, my view was uh, my, my view was kind of obscured by having an idea of what the film should be and watching it back last night, I had a, I had a blast with this movie. I really I actually I rewatched it again this afternoon. Uh huh. Is it the the first time that I watched the movie. My God, movie? man. Yeah, I know that's that's uh, me doing my homework. Yeah, I like this one, um, but for me, Wakewood was superior. Um, for me. Wheatwood was uh, a lot darker. It's a superior horror film, but if you're looking for a Hammer film, yeah, then The Woman in Black is a superior Hammer film. It's really a lavish, lavish production. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely, it was it was great, and I would highly recommend it. I would say go and get 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 the video. I, I would really say cool. watch Women in Black, watch Wheatwood. Give The Resident a shot, yep. you might like it, I didn't like it. Uh, let Me In, 
watched the Swedish one and uh, which I wasn't all that keen on when I first watched it uh -huh. either actually I thought it was just a bit too slow sure but beyond the rave it's pretty bother. much pretty much in the void for that one yeah um, it's probably useful in serving its purpose and getting its getting the name out there yeah and um, letting people know it was happening um, but beyond it being an extended advert I think particularly the fact that the episode 20 isn't available online um, really I, I, I wouldn't recommend it for that reason. Um, if it was available online I would say give it a shot um, but it's certainly it's not worth the effort. There's and, no point in watching yeah, up to episode 19. No there's definitely not. Um, so that's that's our review of Hammer Horror. Yeah. Um, probably uh, next issue to discuss is the movies that are currently in production. Um, well, uh, yeah, I don't know what any yeah. of them are. I've, so. I've, took, I've took a few notes of the, the movies that, that Hammer are currently producing. Um, so we've got the Woman in Black sequel. The, yep. the Woman in Black was a huge success with a fairly limited budget compared to what you'd expect. 16 million. Yeah, and 127 million gross. Um, so obviously they're uh, capitalising on that. Um, so the synopsis for that that we've got uh, taken from the Hammer website is um, Seized by the government and converted into a military mental hospital during World War Two, the sudden arrival of disturbed soldiers to Eel Marsh House has awoken its darkest inhabitant. Eve, a beautiful young nurse, is sent to the house to care for the patients but soon realises she must save them from more than their own demons. Despite Eve's efforts to stop her, one by one, they fall victim to the woman in black. What do you think of that? Uh, initially dubious, but I do want to see what they do to the house. Yeah, I like I, the idea. I, uh -huh. I want to see that house all those years later uh -huh. with the the entire place done up and it'll mm -hmm. have electric lights and sure. everything. And also, I'm just interested to see what callbacks maybe they do to yep. the, the first film. Mm -hmm. Like the... The cross in the marshes. Sure. I want that to still be there somehow, yeah. even though I think it got removed. Uh huh. In the yeah. in the first one, I would like it to be put back. Yeah, I'm also I'm quite excited about that. I, originally, when I heard there was going to be a sequel, I was uh, dubious, but I like the idea of it being um, a fifteen convalescence home. I like the idea of it being a fifteen. I don't uh -huh. want it to be. I mean, a that's 12. the reason. Part of the reason why it was so successful was because it was a 12A and because yeah. people could go along um, and see it. But well, I would I mean, like this to have more, more actual horror. Uh huh. I mean, this the original Women in Black was originally given a 15, um, and then they had to change some of the sound editing. Yeah. It got a 12A because of sound editing. And because six six seconds were were cut from it. But it was the most complained about movie um, for last year. Uh, purely, I would suggest, because irresponsible parents took their kids to just see Daniel Radcliffe. You can go and watch this Go and watch one. Harry Potter. Um, so, personally, I don't have an issue with it. I think it... I don't. I don't care. I think that I understand why it was a twelve A. Um, it was also written by the screenplay was written by Jonathan Ross's wife Jane Goldman. Yeah, yeah. That Avengers uh, X Men First Class as well. Yep. So the, ne the next movie we've got is uh, oh, it starts off with quite a bad sentence. Um, inspired by true events. 
Oh no. The Quiet Ones tells the story of an unorthodox professor who uses controversial methods and leads his best students off the grid to take part in a, a dangerous experiment to create a poltergeist. Based on the theory that paranormal activity is caused by negative human energy, the rogue scientists perform a series of tests on a young patient, pushing her to the edge of her sanity. As frightening occurrences begin to take place with shocking and gruesome consequences, the group quickly realise they have triggered a force more terrifying than they could ever have imagined. That sounds a bit uh, like martyrs. Yeah, that's does. which uh, I don't know what we're doing. When yeah, we'll probably be doing that at some point. That, we don't know what at we're some doing. point we're doing yeah. French horror. Sure. I've already watched two this week anyway. Yeah, so I think that's probably what we're going to be covering. And the third project that's currently in the works is called Gaslight. Um, and this has been described as an atmospheric thriller in the vein of th From Hell uh, and Silence of the Lambs. Um, it made the 2011 blacklist of unproduced screenplays uh, and was given the, the following logline. Secretly imprisoned in a London insane asylum, Jack the Ripper helps Scotland Yard investigators solve a series of grisly murders whose victims all share one thing in common, dual puncture wounds to the neck. So that is going so, to be Jack so the Ripper is, versus vampires. This is from hell in Silence <laughs> of the Lambs with a vampire. So that's it. Yeah. That that just sounds fucking awful. Yeah, so that, that's that's what we're what we've got. I I have to say I'm quite intrigued by Gaslight. I like the idea of it, and I think that's firm Hamlet territory. Uh, I'd like to see what they do with it uh, before judging it. I think it could be cool if they make it cheesy. Oh, it, it, could, to be, it could be great. It could be really really good. Um, but hey ho. So, so uh, we've we've had another review right? posted on iTunes. Mm -hmm. Which uh, actually calls back to what we were saying last week about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, does he die in anything? He dies in Terminator. Yeah, absolutely. Obscure, and Terminator obscure, obscure 2 movie. and Terminator 3. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah, how, how bad of us <laughs> to not absolutely. remember. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, who really knows about those films? Yeah. The Art House, basically. Yeah. I'd, I'd, so. Actually, I'm not sure if anyone in Glasgow, Edinburgh, Bristol, or yeah. Idaho would have seen this. I think yeah. Simon Oaks so, should read the review. Hurry up. An irreverent and rambling look into the world of horror movies, and perhaps unintentionally, the minds of the presenters. Which is more horrific? I will leave you to decide. Entertaining and informative. That's that's quite lovely. Sure. It is everything a podcast should be. There we go. Cool. Thank you very much. And then they want to know where can I get my hands on that glorious theme tune? Yeah. So the theme tune that we have previously been using was uh, well, the the theme tune that we have used so far has been uh, Night Boat to Arkham by Ross Gilchrist. Uh -huh. I think that we should end this week's podcast by introducing our new theme tune. Very good point, Gil. That's. Good. Which is uh, specifically written by Roth Gilchrist because he's one of the loveliest people in the world. Yeah, so he wrote that in the last uh, in the last couple of days uh, for us. And Nightboat to Arkham is actually available on his Speed of Thought. Uh, Speed of Thought. Yeah. Speed. Um, Speed. Of, Speed. Thought. Which uh, Gil is Gil has made a video for for the entire length of the EP, which 
has been just released via Roskill Chris Bandcamp, so do a search for that. Yep. Um, just want to say thank you so much to everybody who has subscribed and who has uh, left comments for us on Twitter and on the Facebook page. We uh, really appreciate it. Um, Gil, anything further to add? Uh, I'm just, I'm really happy that people listen to us sit on the couch rambling and are enjoying it. Yeah, it really means a lot, so thank you so much guys. Um, next week we're probably going to be discussing French horror or French suspense. The the new new French extreme. Yeah, I, we're, I think we're, that's what that school has been We've realised we need to kind of limit things. Yeah. <laughs> or else people will start criticising us. So yeah, we the new French extreme is, is probably what we're covering next week. We should maybe do less films yeah. than five. We should pick four. Uh -huh. Martels should definitely be one of them. Yep. If you get any suggestions, yeah. hit us up on Twitter, it's Bodacious Horror, um, and we're on Facebook, it's Gallon Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. So, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. And this is the new tune. Long live the new flesh. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, my friend.